weekday morning at 9. Andy Griffin brings in the most relevant guests, tackles the top issues, and lets your voice be heard. heard. Only, Only on KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Welcome to the show this morning, 10 minutes after 9 a.m. We'll take your phone calls. We'll, uh, we've got a couple of guests. It's going to be a fun day as we get ready for Thanksgiving holiday. Sadly, uh, maybe for some of you, happily for some of you, uh, I will not be here uh, tomorrow and Friday as we uh, let the network shows take over and we enjoy a couple of days off. To me, it's stressful because not only am I the uh, host here on KDXU, I'm the program director, which means if there's anything that goes wrong between the satellites talking to each other and the computer and everything, uh, I got to come and fix it. So, uh, and, and of course, then the boss also gets a text about it. And everything. Yeah, I, I just, uh, holidays have, have kind of not, not quite as meaningful to me as they used to be because I stress out about the uh, station. Uh, but we do have guests today. We'll start with Terry Hutchinson from the Washington County School District. Terry, of course, won the election just, uh, man, that's only been, a, what, three weeks ago, Terry? Yeah, three weeks, and then they certified it last Tuesday. I guess they did the final canvas. Official last Tuesday. Uh, but uh, congratulations, you're back on the school board for a second straight Thank you. term. I'm looking forward to it. Kicking butt and taking names over there, right? <laughs> I wouldn't exactly describe it that way. <laughs> One of, the, one of the things I do look forward to is, uh, you know, I, we, we've accomplished a lot in my first four years. And then in the next four years, one of the things I want to do is uh, be more interacting with the, my, the PTAs for the schools in my area. Um, I, I, you know, if there was one area I really felt I wanted to improve on, that was an area. So that's something I'll be working on in the coming, coming years. It's always, always good, again, to work with, work with the people. Now, uh, you guys had well, a... Yeah, there, there's always more to do. There's always more to do. And, uh, you know, things have been going well. Things are going well. Uh, even with, you know, some of the COVID restrictions and everything else, we're a school district that's growing. All the other school districts, the large school districts in the state have been shrinking, and ours has grown. So even Alpine dropped 3% this last year, and we increased 5%. So we're now the fifth biggest school district. We probably will stay the fifth biggest for a long time unless Alpine were to split, and there's no talk of that. But if they did, Alpine is so big that both of them, if they split it in half, would be bigger than us. When I was a young sports writer out of college, I went up to Idaho, Moscow, Idaho, and it was actually really great training for a young sports writer because I covered small schools in northern Idaho. I also We were right on the border, so I covered – schools that in, in the state of Washington. And uh, it was just, like I said, it was big time on the job training there for a young sports writer. But uh, one of the things I thought was really unique was pretty much in, I don't know how it is in Southern Idaho, but in Northern Idaho and in Washington, every high school was its own school district. You had, you know, kind of like we have, what do they call it? The, the uh, cone site or whatever. Well, they actually had a school district for every high school. So uh, Moscow, Idaho had Moscow high school, Moscow junior high, uh, Moscow Middle School and a couple of elementaries or, or whatever, and that was the entire school district. Uh, is is Washington School District getting too big? Is that something that that should be I don't know considered? I I wouldn't think so, and and I'll tell you why. The the reason that you split school districts a lot of times has to do with uh, population centers and, and other things like that. We mm-hmm. have some very small districts here in in Utah, yeah. um, and and they're countywide. 
But I think splitting this one would be a real challenge uh, unless you were to just say, okay, we're going to go with the St. George, Santa Clara, you know, Washington, for lack of a better word, metropolitan area, and, and then you've got your, your outside rural areas. We, we still have a, a great uh, – we, we have two or – actually two or three different kinds of schools in our district. We have Enterprise. We have Water Canyon. We have and, – and to a, to a lesser degree, Hurricane, which are all kind of independent high schools, yeah. and the communities revolve around those. <clears throat> and the high schools are more of the center of the community. And then we have, you know, we have Snow Canyon – Desert Hills, Crimson, Pine View, uh, you know, all the, the, the school, Dixie. We have the schools in the St. George area that are all kind of together. And, and there's not as much division as there used to be in, in terms of those communities. Now, one of the reasons, Terry, I, I called you or texted you this morning to get you on the air was uh, you guys had, it wasn't an emergency meeting, but a, a special meeting uh, this week. Uh, part of the, at least one of the uh, top main topics was, uh, the, you know, the, the growing concern over COVID-19. And uh, interestingly, it's not really as much a concern among the students as it is among the staff. Uh, you know, you get to the point where you've got to have, you know, a secretary. You've got to have a bus driver. You've got to have somebody who makes the lunch and, and serves the lunch and, and stuff like that. And that right now is a big concern for Washington County. Well, you know, when you look at it, it, it would be a concern if the numbers were higher. Okay. And it's certainly something that we're always watching. But our numbers aren't high enough to, to have anybody say, you know, oh, gosh, they're going to close the schools right away. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Um, you know, we're always concerned about public safety. And certainly if, if we have the transportation go down, then that's going to affect our ability to be in-person school um, but so far, we haven't we haven't had that with the staff. I mean, my daughter out of state, they had some problems with staff, and particularly in the lunch rooms, and so they had to close their schools for a little while. But wow. we don't we don't have those kind of numbers, and and I don't anticipate we're going to get those kind of numbers. We're checking them every day. We talk to you know the the public health officials every day, and and we've taken a much uh, we've taken a much stronger approach to keeping the schools open than, say, some of our sister school districts up, up north. And so we're going to continue to do everything we can, and we've, we've approved some extra preparation days for our teachers uh, to give them a chance to kind of catch their breath. Um, you know, we, we do have kids going in and out with the quarantining, and we, we understand the quarantining rules may be loosening up soon so we're crossing our fingers about that so we don't quite have as many kids out of school and and it's not really the kids being out of school it's just that that puts an extra burden on the teachers to kind of monitor those kids because they're not out of class long enough to jump in with another teacher and so our teachers are going the extra mile to make sure that they that, that the kids who are quarantining for you know the seven to 14 days depending on their circumstance are, are still able to keep up with their classwork. Oh, yeah. And uh, we, we got a grant to purchase some, some cameras. We approved some emergency funds a couple of meetings ago. And uh, there's a special kind of swivel camera that allows the teachers to teach at the same time the kids that are 
quarantined and the kids in the classrooms. So it's a much more effective way of teaching, and it'll relieve a lot of the burdens on the teachers. I think we ordered 450 of them, and half of them are supposed to be here this coming month, and then half of them in January. And you might imagine those kind of uh, tools are back-ordered extensively. Yeah, all over the so country, for sure. So we've jumped through a lot of hoops to get them here as quick as we can. Do you have uh, input, Terry, as a school board, on how the the quarantine is handled? Is that straight from the health department? And the reason I ask is I have a relative of mine that uh, they got a call from their school principal that said, uh, someone in one of your classes, and we can't tell you who or even what class, has COVID-19. Therefore, your class, everybody that's in that class, has to stay home from, I think it was seven days or something like that. Uh, and the whole thing seemed, it was weird. It was almost cloaked in mystery. And I know there are HIPAA laws and you got to be careful to who says what about what, but, uh, this, you know, this, this person I'm talking about, they, they didn't know who it was. They didn't know how close they were to that person. They didn't even know what class that it was in. Uh, and, and of course with schools, they're wearing masks all day anyway. So there was, uh, I think some perplexity that in our school district, in our school district. Yes. Really? Hmm. Um, I, you know, I can't speak to that exactly. I do know that the HIPAA laws are very restrictive. I think they're more restrictive, uh, you know, particularly with regard to, well, who, who, who let, let's just take an example, who dies from COVID. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's somebody between 65 and 95. Well, <laughs> is it somebody that's 95 or somebody that's 65? I mean, come on. Yeah. It, it's, it, you know. At some point, they take the HIPAA laws to extremes, and it hurts the public knowledge of how to deal with this pandemic. And frankly, I, I'm very critical of it, so I'm just going to leave it at that. As far as that goes, when when one of our students is exposed, um, you know, we have to take a look at what the circumstances were and who they've been in contact with and how they've been in contact with, and and so that's where that goes. Although, once again, they no longer have to, you know, be out for 14 days. They only have to be out for seven, and then they can get a test. And if for some reason the student can't afford the test or they don't have insurance that will cover the test, uh, we, thanks to the county giving us a grant recently at a a county commission meeting I was at a couple of weeks ago, uh, we're going to be able to help with that. So our goal is to get the students back into school as soon as possible, and the less quarantining and restricting we have to do the better and and it's pretty obvious that when it comes to the schools uh, the the students are not really the main spreaders in fact the schools are not the spreaders in the communities these spikes that we've had statewide and nationwide generally as near as anybody can tell are not coming from the schools you know and and as i've said before i i think if the governor tried to close the schools again and there's no indication that he's planning to, uh, we'd be, uh, I would really put a lot of pressure on my fellow board members to uh, do something much more aggressive about dealing with that. Because, you know, in the spring when nobody knew anything, okay, yeah, but now we all know that the schools aren't really the problem. And it's far more important for the students to stay in school. For a lot of different reasons, yeah, yeah, and uh, agreed. They're they're in fact they're safer at the schools. Um, so, Terry, anyway, I've always I've always been one of those guys, Terry, that uh, you know a little bit of sniffles, upset stomach, whatever. I'm going to work. I'm I'm going to get the job done. And one of the messages out there now with COVID 
COVID-19, and we've heard Steve Dunham say it many times, he actually has a commercial, if you're feeling sick, stay home. Uh, there's, there's, in our society, there's pressure to succeed. There's, I mean, the, the, the good employees are the ones that never take a sick day. And so I'm curious as to your take on this. I mean, obviously, we don't want to spread COVID-19. Uh, you know, this, so, sometimes it's asymptomatic. But, uh, you know, in, in this pressure, this society pressure cooker of ours, uh, stay home because you have the sniffles or something doesn't really make sense, even though now they're telling us that's what we need to do. Well, you know, I can't speak to that, and I certainly um, don't want to don't want to counter that advice. In, in particular, when when students are exhibiting symptoms of any kind, they need to be kept home. And, and the reason is, frankly, it's not got anything to do with I think a, a serious fear of anybody else catching it. But obviously, if if anything spreads, it's going to give the people who want to close an excuse to close, and it's going to harm everybody in the community. So we're just being extra cautious. And I think with regard to this, we need to be extra cautious. You know, we, we one of the things that is often underestimated and that doesn't get acknowledged enough is that our teachers are the ones who many of them have uh, you know, some serious concerns about the COVID and with all the stress and all the extra restrictions and all the cleaning and the masks and everything else, uh, it just puts a lot more pressure on them, especially if they have a student who all of a sudden pops up at 10 in the morning who shouldn't have been there. And then they have to, you know, send them home and call the parents and do all the rest. It, it just is one more factor that we can avoid in order to, in order to try and help us, provide that in-person education that we're really striving for. So, yeah, it, it's a tough situation. I mean, I'm a guy self-employed, so I can afford sick days. Nobody's ever given me sick days. I don't think I've had sick days since I was in the military, yeah. which was, you know, back in the 80s. And I really never took sick days then anyway. I'm, I'm normally a pretty healthy person. But, you know, you just want to be avoiding people if, if you if you have a sore throat or you have a fever or anything else, um, you know you you just don't want to take the risk of of giving that to somebody else. So it's really prudence, and I think our culture and our society is with regard to the demand for success is going to uh, ease up on that a little bit. I hope so. I I, I think we'll still demand success. We better demand success. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough with what they're doing with the shutdowns. Yeah. Heaven help our generation if we had to fight another war or something like that. But that's another that's a topic for another time, Andy. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I remember maybe a year ago, you you and uh, Steve came on the show and uh, you petitioned the public for uh, the fact that you need bus drivers and and uh, there was a, a severe shortage of bus drivers. This was before COVID nineteen. Uh, I'm guessing uh, now you came on again maybe six or eight months ago and said, "Well, the bus driver problem is still." pretty bad in fact it's worse because a lot of our bus drivers are the ones that are vulnerable uh how razor thin is it your margin of error for bus drivers if you have say four bus drivers call out sick one day are you are you going to be able to deliver the kids back back and forth from school we haven't we've been able to deliver them ever since the school year started and so you know the transportation department we've had some of our people i think get their cdls or renew their cdls to make sure they can do that is you have to have a CDL. We can always use healthy bus drivers. Um, and 
I would never turn them away. But on the other hand, we haven't experienced any problems and we haven't had any problems reported to us as a school board. I mean, when we started, that was one of the topics in our meetings that we got an update on and we haven't, we haven't heard about it. So either it hasn't gotten any worse or it's even gotten a little better. Okay. All right. I mean, you know, when, when our board meetings are several hours long, we obviously have a lot of bases we have to cover and we're still covering them even with COVID. And uh, while, you know, the mask restrictions and the closings and the public health stuff is all coming from the governor's office. He, he, we still have a lot of local control over all our other issues. Uh, Terry, get, we only got a couple of minutes left. I wanted to get your comment on this. Uh, we're talking with Terry Hutchinson from the Washington County School Board. According to Steve Dunham, uh, as of this week, there are 98 students and 50 staff members who have currently tested positive for, for COVID-19 in the school district. And uh, with that, there's that would uh, be 961 uh, people who have to quarantine, contact tracing, or being in the same class or whatever. Uh, are those numbers? What what at what point do those numbers get to where we have to maybe start thinking about cancellations and stuff? Are we? Is it close? Well, or when you look it? at that, Andy, uh, the number of our students is. Uh, uh, I think we were figuring it's about 03 percent. Yeah. That's not 3%. That's 0.3%. Yeah. I think that our sister districts up north are completely overreacting with regard to students having it. I mean, if you have 15 students in a school that get it and you've got 3,000 high school students, keep it open. But you know what? They have their own deals, and that's what they have to deal with. As far as our, as far as our staff goes, you know, that's we have 4,500 employees with teachers and staff. One of the things we're really looking at is is teachers, um, and and we've asked them to to especially notify us about teachers and other key staff personnel. Um, and so far, that hasn't hasn't been a concern where we're going to have to close anything. And even with though we have ten times the number of people, you know, uh, quarantining as a result of each diagnosis, uh, that still doesn't doesn't raise to the level where we're going to have to cancel schools or anything i mean several years ago when we had uh, the flu going around uh we had 25 to 50 percent absenteeism in the school classrooms and that's when we had to really consider about classes and schools and things like that and this isn't anywhere near that and we don't anticipate it to get that bad because our student population is you know pretty healthy the students don't tend to get it and our staff who's getting it um, we're obviously concerned about them, and so we're keeping an eye on that in particular. But, you know, with everybody trying to be safe and everybody doing the best they can, I think we're keeping everything down until so they get everything under control, either with a vaccine or, or just better weather or something like that. That's that's awesome to hear. All right, Terry, got to gotta run. Thank you for coming on today okay, and giving Andy, us a little bit of peace you. of mind. Have a great Thanksgiving. Great Thanksgiving to all the listeners. All right. Thanks, Terry. Terry we'll Hutchinson. Talk to you again soon. All right. Bye. Washington County School District's Terry Hutchinson. We'll step aside for a weather break. When we come back, we'll talk water. Stay with us on the Andy Griffin Show. Every weekday morning at 9, Andy Griffin brings in the most relevant guests, tackles the top issues, and lets your voice be heard. heard. Only, Only on KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. 
Welcome back to the program. Thanks again to Terry Hutchinson for being on the show and uh, giving us uh, well, a little, little reassurance that schools are not going to close, not anytime soon. They'd have to have um, 10 times or more the uh, infection rate that they have right now. He said point, I think he said 0.3% right now, which is uh, a very small number. And a st- even the staff infection, uh, uh, no pun intended there, the infection of staff members uh, is 1.1%. Uh, so they're not anytime going to close the school soon. It'd have to be a pretty major outbreak uh, in the Washington County schools for them to close. So uh, that makes me feel a lot better after talking to Terry. It's the 934 on KDXU. This is the Andy Griffin Show. I have uh, Bree Thompson in. Now, Bree, thanks for coming in, by the way. Appreciate yeah. you being here. Uh, we were going to have Zach Renstrom in. Zach is your boss, right? That's right. And uh, I have to say... Uh, you're way better looking than Zach. Well, thank you. And I pre- appreciate you coming. Uh, a little brighter day. I don't have to look at him. No, I'm just kidding. That wasn't very nice. I didn't mean that. No, that's a great, to... great compliment. <laughs> no. Thank you. Not um, an insult to Zach. No, not an insult to, to Zach at all. That's a, That just is like a step up. For I think he would probably agree. I think he, maybe his wife wouldn't agree, but I think he would agree. Anyway, uh, we've got lots of water issues to talk about. Uh, we already have some people calling on the phone line. We'll get to them in just a minute. Six seven three five eight ninety. If you want to uh, have a chat with us here on the program, uh, we would love to hear from you. I know you had some uh, items on your agenda. We'll get to those in a minute as well. But, but Bree, I've been I've been working on this all morning, trying to get people on board with me. Okay, we have we have New Year's Eve, we have Christmas Eve, we have All Hallows Eve. I'm thinking we need to have a Thanksgiving Eve celebration, oh, don't yeah. you think? I mean, because everybody just sits around and does nothing on things. So, so we have Thanksgiving Eve. I'm thinking the traditional food should be uh, eggnog and pumpkin empanadas. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm open to other ideas if you want to throw something out there. Uh, but uh, what do you think? You, uh, yeah, I don't know. Pumpkin yeah. empanadas sounds very interesting. I would I definitely like to try that. You, you never had one? I haven't. Oh, I, okay, I so let me describe it for you. You take a traditional tortilla, right, and you fill it with a mixture of that is basically pumpkin pie filling and cream cheese. Okay, you roll it all together, deep fry it because, of course, it's got to be bad for you. Yeah. And then when and it, it gets bad. out of the fryer, you roll it in cinnamon sugar. And then, okay, it's we're not done yet. You take the hot, delicious pastry and you dip it in real whipped cream. That sounds delicious. And there you go. Yeah, you just gained eight pounds listening to me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah, so... Uh, I'm thinking Thanksgiving Eve, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I, I'm on board. Okay. All right. You you bring Absolutely. you bring the empanadas. No, no, <laughs> no. I'll do it. I'm not much of a cook, unfortunately, uh, but yeah. If you're right. if you're cooking, Th- thanks, I'm on board with that tradition. Thanksgiving Day, though, you got got some some big plans. Are you going to try to keep it on? You the know, it's much scale much more scaled back this year. So I'm I'm just going to be spending it with my husband and my two children okay. and. You know, making a lot of calls to but, extended family members. But you so. said you're, you're not much of a cook. Does that mean you're not going to have the big Thanksgiving turkey meal? Or Well, fortunately, my husband is a superb cook. Oh, so, nice. And nice. I'm, you know, I'm not sure what he's got planned this year, but I'm sure it'll be delicious. I'm, I'm going to smoke a turkey. I'm also the cook in our family. So I, I learned early on, if you cook everything, you don't have to do the dishes. That's, Someone yeah. else will do the dishes. <laughs> So I, I I got good at being a cook, knowing that okay I don't have to do the dishes. So it's it's a, actually a pretty devious plan. I yeah, that's a great strategy. <laughs> I think I'd rather do the dishes than the cooking. Though, well, and so. the weird thing is, cooking takes like an hour, hour and a half every night. Dishes take like twenty minutes, right? Yeah. So I don't know why I think that's better, but I do. <laughs> I guess I like creating instead of yeah. cleaning, I, something like that. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I'm going to smoke a turkey tomorrow. 
That sounds uh, I'm, really I'm good. a smoker, and uh, I think, I hope it turns out good. Like most smokers, I did a test turkey, I'd, uh, a practice turkey. I, I smoked a turkey on Sunday. So we already have a giant bag of leftover turkey in the fridge, but I'm going to smoke well, another great. one. that's great. That's great. <laughs> i do it again. There's a lot of uses for leftover turkey. For, for sure. In fact, I have right here on my counter turkey enchilada recipe. <laughs> so all right, maybe we got to get that to your husband so you can have turkey yeah. enchiladas yeah. on Friday. That sounds good. <laughs> Well, Bree, thanks for coming in. Your your official title, I asked you uh, earlier, and, and uh, you gave me your title, and I'm like, wow, that's a lot of words. Uh, Bree Thompson is the Associate General Manager over Operations at the Washington County Water Conservancy District. Is that correct? That is correct. We got it right. All right. Uh, over Operations, that sounds like you're uh, managing people a lot. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, managing people, managing our facilities. We have a number of reservoirs and wells, pipelines. So if, the treatment plant. If something goes wrong, are you one of the people they call first, or? Um, you know, we have our operations manager, and we have on-call operators that do a phenomenal job. Um, that you know, there's there there's definitely a need for staff that's ready to go at any point in time. Um, we have, especially like during the summer monsoon seasons, and then in the winter too, as we're collecting water. Um, a lot of our operators are, are very busy even after hours. We've got a really great staff and great crew. So if there's a contamination or a, a, a leak in a dam or something and it's 3 o'clock on a Sunday morning, 3 a.m., you're probably not going to get that call? Well, fortunately, we haven't had to deal with that. I, I would probably be in the loop, though, if that, oh, if that were to happen, yeah. Okay. But, be our own but we, try, we try to, you know, take steps to ensure that we, we don't have those of issues course. arise. Of but. course. I was being fishy. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the things you're responsible for. For people that aren't familiar with uh, the Water Conservancy District, how many bodies of water breed are you responsible for at the Washington County Conservancy District? So we have a total of seven reservoirs. Okay. Um, the major ones that are the, the big sources of water supply in the area would be Quail Creek Reservoir, Quail. Sound, Sound Hollow Reservoir, Sound Hollow. Yeah. Gunlock, Gunlock, and then Colob Reservoir. Okay. We also manage Ash Creek Reservoir and Ivan's Reservoir and um, a very small reservoir called Meadow Hollow. Now, I know where Ash Creek is because uh, Zach has explained that to me, but a lot of people are like, Ash Creek what Reservoir? I've never boated on that one. Where is that? <laughs> well, there's a reason that most people haven't boated. Um, right. it's, as you're coming down off the Black Ridge, driving from Cedar to St. George, there is a reservoir um, off to the side that um, doesn't hold water very well. So sometimes, like... During summer runoff, you'll see water in that reservoir. Yeah, there's, sometimes there's a lot and sometimes there's yeah, none. Yeah, yep. And, and, and it's called Ash Creek. It is, Ash it's Creek. Just, just south of the uh, Colob Fingers exit. Yes, uh, that's As you right. hit the Black Ridge and headed down. My, my parents lived in New Harmony, so I went by there quite often as I went and visited my parents. And I always thought, well, that's an interesting reservoir because it's empty half the time. Uh, I don't believe there's a boat ramp or anything if they're on that <laughs> No, thing. I don't think there is. <laughs> It would be underwater half the time anyway, if there was, and then it would be, uh, you know, quarter mile from the water the rest of the time. So, okay, and, and Zach explained this to me, and maybe people who hadn't heard, uh, you guys are basically going to redirect that so that uh, there is a more stable reservoir just downstream from there. From there, is that correct? That is correct. That's our Ash Creek project, and that would um, allow us to take that water in the reservoir when it's there and. Um, transfer it through a pipe 
down um, to another reservoir that would be called Toker Reservoir that would be off the Anderson Junction exit or the Tokerville exit. Oh, so what is that, 26? I am not sure. 23, 26, somewhere in there. Some, somebody's listening, screaming at the radio right now going, you idiot! But anyway, uh, so, okay, so, and that will be uh, more stable. So it's going to hold water all year long, theoretically, the new Tokerville Reservoir? Yes, yeah, so so we would take that water from Ash Creek before it has a chance to, to get lost in that reservoir uh-huh. and bring it down. And there would be a small um, recharge component like we have out in the Sound Hollow area. So some of that water would be going into the sandstone, but it would be it would be in that reservoir okay, year-round. Now, now, how big is this Tokerville Reservoir going to be? Oh, and, I, you know, I and think you could, you I'm going to say between three, three to 4,000 acre feet. I don't know what that means. So um, I'm trying I'm, to think I'm of a, a, I'm a dumb radio guy. Is, that, so is Col- it going to be, uh, you know, so like Quail half, Creek size? Half the size of Colob. Oh, okay. Roughly. Okay. I, that that makes you, you give me a comparison. That, that makes a lot more sense to me, Bree. Uh, half the size of quail. yeah, much smaller than quail or Sound Hollow Reservoir. Right. Okay, okay, good. And and what would be the main purpose of creating this new reservoir? So, because we need the water. Is it because the water's getting lost? Is it? Yes. Yeah, so it would it would store that water more efficiently, and it would provide some secondary irrigation water um, in that east part of the county that could offset some of the culinary demands, so that we can take culinary water and use it more for indoor water use. Oh, perfect. So instead of watering your grass with drinkable water, they can use some of that. Right. right. Got it. Okay. Perfect. All right. Uh, let's talk about uh, lights at the garden. I, I I know kind of what you mean, but maybe you want to elaborate on that. Right. So um, we've been doing this for a number of years now, but um, the day after Thanksgiving, we invite everyone to come to the garden um, because we decorate the garden with lights. And so from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. every night until December 31st. They can come and see all of the lights and the oh, really? Christmas display there at the Very Red cool. the Red Hills Desert Garden. Do, do you have to? Did you have to make some weird little rules because of COVID this year? Um, you know, I I don't. We're not doing like any big grand opening or anything, but but no, we would obviously encourage people to social distance if they're walking around the garden. But. Mask up if you're going to be closer than six feet and and all that stuff and. It is outdoors. That's good. Yes, it is uh, outdoors. So you don't have that to deal with. We've heard Dr. Blodgett say over in Oregon, really you, the most dangerous if you're 15 minutes or, or longer with someone and indoors in close proximity to them. So shouldn't be a spreader type situation over there at the uh, desert garden. Desert. Right. There's lots of room and, you know, well, a lot of different nights to choose from. So we should be able to, people should be able to socially distance and, and stay safe. Sounds really, really fun. I, I've not actually been, participated in that yet, so I'm looking forward to taking my wife yeah, and daughter come up over. there. And, it's, and, it's very and, beautiful. When does that start? So the day after Thanksgiving is when that is open. Which is the 27th, so November 27th to December 31st. That's right. Is that uh, Sundays as well, All every day? Yes, yeah, the oh, garden's perfect. open every day. So a good day to take a walk, maybe Sunday evening. Go check yeah, out the yes. lights at the desert. What's the name again? Desert. The Red Hills Desert Garden. Red Hills Desert Garden. That's up on Red Hills Parkway. Awesome. Okay, Bree, we're going to take a commercial. When we come back, there's a couple other things we want to talk about. The water supply and something called regional water supply agreements. Yes. You'll explain to all of us what exactly that uh, refers to uh, when we come back from this time out. Okay? All right. Thank you. Our show today brought to you in part by Joe Shoney. Joe Shoney is a loan consultant. His specialty is taking care of his customers, customer service. Yeah, he's really good at that. 
In fact, so good, if you go online and read his reviews, he has nearly 500 of them now, 482 to be exact. His average score is 4.91. That's as good as Breeze grades at school. That's, that's how good that is. 4.91 out of five stars. Joe Shoney, the loan consultant. His specialty is uh, customer service. But any kind of loan you can think of, whether it's a FHA, a first-time buyer's loan, uh, a reverse uh, mortgage, a home equity line, a line of credit, whatever you might need in the loan business, Joe Shoney will take care of you, and he'll let you know exactly what's happening every single step of the way. His name is Joe Shoney. His phone number is 435-590-6300. You want to be a part of the show today? We're not necessarily talking masks and things like that, but uh, if you want to call and have a question, 673-5890 is the phone number. Uh, it's Water Conservancy Day. We don't have Zach Renstrom here, though, and uh, that's okay because Bree Thompson is here. She is the, uh, I'm going to say it again, Bree, uh, the regional, no, wait, wrong one, assistant general manager, associate general manager over operations for the Washington County Water Conservancy District. How did you end up with that job, by the way, Bree? Well, I, I've worked at the district almost 15 years, okay. and I, I started out in water quality okay. and um, and working at the water treatment plant. And I've, you know, just kind of branched out and worked on a few different projects and things and, and you have ended a de- up in... You have a degree in... I have a degree in chemical engineering and, chemical then a, and a, engineering. an MBA as and well. Man, wow. Uh, folks, that what she just said without saying it was, I'm much smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> because I can tell you this, I could not get a degree in chemical engineering because uh, I struggled with some of the calculus. You probably had to take calculus, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and all those chemistry classes and stuff. And I'm like, I think I'll major in journalism because I can write and don't have to do that fancy math. <laughs> so anyway, so smart person in the studio today. Thank you, Bree, for being here. Uh, I appreciate that. Can you, as a smart person, explain what the regional water supply agreement is? Yes. Yeah, so... In the spirit of Thanksgiving, we wanted to bring up the Regional Water Supply Agreement today and, and thank our municipal partners. Um, so the Regional Water Supply Agreement is an agreement with most of the large municipalities in Washington County. And what so, it does... Which is a fancy word for the cities and towns. Yeah, like, right, right. St. George, Washington, yeah. Ivan, Santa Clara, Tokerville, Laverick, and Hurricane. Um, and, and so it... And Enterprise, don't forget that. Well... They're not they're part, not of, the part of it. Okay. They, they're right. not, yeah. My so bad. it's most okay. the, the larger municipalities. So our service area is the entire county, but the regional water supply agreement applies to just municipalities that have signed that agreement. Okay. But it's it's unique in that it, it really forms a partnership with the cities and the district so that we can work cooperatively um, and, and, you know, look for new water resources and look for kind of synergies between the, the cities as well. You know, where we are in a desert climate, it's very important that we have a lot of redundancy and a lot of interconnections. And we found that our cities work really well together. And we just want to thank them for that. And, you know, we do, we meet monthly with the water managers of each of those cities and quarterly with um, their, you know, their mayors and, and other city members. And it's, it began in 2006 and it's, it seems to be working really well. And we appreciate that relationship. As a partnership, what does that mean on their on their side of things? Does it mean they supply uh, money, uh, time, uh, parts? What, what does that mean as a partner? 
Well, so it, it's a water contract in that we're supplying them water, but okay. but what the partnership part is they give us a lot of great feedback, and we we do in those meetings, you know, discuss problems that that may you know different cities may be having, and that could range from a lot of different things, you know. Um, so we we just kind of share expertise. Okay, uh, you okay taking a, call, a phone call or two? Sure. All right, uh, I think Seth is here. Seth, what's up, man? Hi, Seth. Am I going to miss my corner? Yeah, I'm afraid so. We have no Friday show this week. Oh, my goodness. I don't I think I'm going to become <laughs> so angry that I'm going to throw um, great big chests of tea into the Boston Harbor. And I just wonder how that would affect the water quality in Boston Harbor. How would it affect Sand Hollow or, or, or Quail if somebody yeah, threw boxes of tea I'm, in there? I'm, I'm worried about that, you know. I I was in the tea party at one point. Well, you know, it might add some tannins to the water, but I think it, you'd have to add quite a bit to have much of an effect. Okay, hold oh on. My goodness. D- I, d- know, dummy here, what, what's a tannin? What, what is a tannin? I'm, I, I'm, it, it's just a, a compound that's in a lot of um, organics, oh, you know, okay. like your... Yeah, if you could walk around the temple, the uh, pecan trees are dripping tannin, and it eats the concrete. Really? turns it black and makes pits in it, you know, in case you're looking for a tannin application. Okay, all right. There you go. Uh, the Tea Party was instituted, uh, I, I'm old enough that I put feathers in, in when I had hair, and I pretended to be an Indian, and I threw some um, uh, big uh, cases of tea in there without the strings. They didn't have strings on the tea bags. And so, um, <laughs> and, and they did that because taxation without representation in their minds um, with the founding fathers, that was tyranny. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm having a little problem with the Water Conservancy District. When they, a year ago, raised my taxes, uh, they didn't give me a chance to vote out. The only person out of the seven who voted to raise my taxes was Victor Iverson, and um, I explained to Victor that I wasn't really happy with him raising my taxes, let alone the six other people sitting on that board. And as as, uh, luck would have it, I'm going to suggest that maybe you talk to the boss and see if we can have those positions like the school board and the county commission and the mayor and the city council. I'd really like to vote for people who want to raise my taxes. Hmm. Good good point, Seth. Uh, wh- who, who, who appoints uh, We're talking about the water board or whatever they call it. Is that what you mean? Seth? Yes. So our, our water board is appointed by the county commission. So it is appointed by elected officials. And, um, that, you know, there, this obviously is like a, a question that I, I don't have a it's lot of say in, but, <laughs> um, but I will say there, you know, there is kind of a benefit to having people serve on that board long-term. It takes a long time to become familiar with all the issues that are involved in water, in managing a water supply. And so not having that be an elected position does provide, um, the county commissioners the opportunity to select people, um, you know, based on their expertise and their familiarity with different water issues. So it's, it's kind of a relationship thing where the commissioner 
is the one that's elected and he's the one that's appointing him. So if you don't like who he appointed, you I guess you vote against the commissioner. Right. And, and you can always talk with your, you know, with your county commissioners and provide feedback on that as well. All right. Got another caller on the line. Hey, you're on with Andy and with Bree Thompson, the very beautiful Bree Thompson. What's up? Morning, guys. Morning. Good morning. A couple questions for Bree. First, I know it's not under your preview, but how is that treatment plan over at Gunlock coming along the city's got going? Are they online yet? Um, no, they're not. And that, and that is a project that um, St. George City is doing. We are doing a very similar project out over by Sound Hollow Reservoir. Um, the two plants are very similar. So they both are going to treat groundwater, well water. And um, they're treating it primarily for arsenic, specifically the Gunlock Wells. Um, A lot of those wells have been being used for secondary irrigation water when they could be used for culinary water. Um, The one out at Sound Hollow will also be treating for a a chemical called manganese, which isn't, you know, isn't um, on the EPA's list for uh, a primary maximum contaminant level, uh, but it does provide aesthetic problems that it adds a color to the water and so both of those projects are kind of along the same time frame so i don't know for sure that the gunlock one you know for sure on the gunlock one but i do think um they're both scheduled for early spring so probably by march neither of them are online right now next question is that tokerville reservoir is that started or is that still on the drawing board so there's still a few um, permitting things, but it's getting very close to having the permitting phase of that project over, and then it would move into you know more of a design, final design phase. So we're talking what five years out, maybe? Um, hopefully less than that. I mean, we are hoping like within the next year that we might be ready for construction on that that's, reservoir. That's going to be a fishing pond, then no boats. I, I don't think so. There may be boats. I don't think motorized boats for sure, but I don't know if they're going to allow other boats. Yeah, sounds like you're right. Fishing pond. Okay, thanks. Thanks for the call today. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, thank I, you. So I'm a little confused on, on this uh, water processing plant out at, did you say at Gunlock and at St. George City doing it? How does that work? So the gun, there's a number of wells that surround Gunlock Reservoir, mm-hmm. and those wells and the water rights are owned by St. George City. And they've been providing water to St. George City for a long time, I mean, at least back in the 70s, I think. And so um, in the early 2000s, the EPA dropped the maximum contaminant level for arsenic. It used to be at 50 parts per billion, and they dropped that down to 10 parts per billion. And so when that happened, St. George City had to take a lot of those wells offline that were, you know, that had been providing water to the community for years. Mm. Um, And this treatment plant will treat, treat for arsenic. So those wells can be utilized again. So do you not, as the water conservancy district, do you not necessarily deal with wells then? We, we do deal with wells. Um, As we were talking about that regional water supply agreement, um, all of our municipal partners have their own resources as well. Oh, I see. So most of the cities also have wells or, and or springs. Um, and, and then the district, um, we, you know, most of our supply is surface water coming from Quail or Sound Hollow Reservoir, and we, we operate the Quail Creek Water Treatment Plant. But we do have over 20 wells. Um, most of those are in the Sound Hollow area that are collecting that recharge from Sound Hollow um, going okay. into the ground there. Okay, we're almost out of time, down to the last minute, Bree. Um, uh, water supply, it's, you know, we haven't had any real rain. There was sprinkles, sprinkles here or there, 
water supply headed toward the winter. And I know the hot months are over. Are we okay with water? Or are we kind of hurting right now? Well, you know, uh, if you look at the snowpack, it's, it's low. You know, there's like not very much snow or any at all, like Pine Valley, Co-op, up in Cedar Mountain. Um, that's not too atypical. I mean, a lot of times this time of year, there's no snow. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we have, we have left a really dry summer. And last year, I think, was at average or below average. So um, our reservoirs are not in as good of shape as they were a year ago. And, you know, we had a really dry summer. And that, that means that people were, you know, there was, you know, a little bit increase in water use. And some of the cities didn't have the supplies from their springs that they normally would. So we had to provide more water. Okay. So, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we'll wait and see. We're, hopefully we'll end up with a lot of snow in January and February. Awesome. Bree, we're out of time. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you. Appreciate you coming here. Bree Thompson from the Washington County Water Conservancy District. This is the Andy Griffin Show off tomorrow and Friday. I'll be back on Monday. See you then.